Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond Marsh! The sickest NHL podcast. It's going to be sick. Hey, welcome to another edition of the ITES here on the Sick Podcast Network. Jimmy Murphy with my co-host Pierre McGuire here. And Pierre, we were planning for our first Press Box Thursday to have uh, Kevin Paul DuPont of the Boston Globe. But unfortunately, Kevin dealing with some health issues. We want to wish our best to him. Get better soon, Kevin. And... uh we pulled a, a quick turnaround, quick audible, as they say. Right here, and we're, uh, we're going to bring on a, a longtime friend of yours and someone I got to know uh, via you, via Mitch Malnick in Montreal, and he's going to join us shortly. And that's longtime hockey reporter Stu Hackle is joining us, uh, Pierre. Why don't you tell for our viewers that might be uh, a little younger that don't know who Stu Hackle is? Well, he had a distinguished career, Jimmy, in the National Hockey League. He worked for a lot of different people in the league, including the late commissioner, uh, Larry or John Ziegler. And Stu was uh, really a big part of Goal Magazine back in the day. did a lot of publishing and a lot of uh, stuff behind the scenes for the National Hockey League. I remember All-Star Games was he was front and center. Uh, he and Gary Mahar were really important parts of it. So he's had a long and really um, very distinguished career in the National Hockey League, wearing a lot of different hats. Yeah, yeah, I remember Gold Magazine, man. That that was the one you used to be able to get in the arenas, eh? Mm-hmm. Yep, I remember that, the old Boston Garden, uh, grabbing one of those at every Bruins game. Yeah, and so I, I remember meeting him uh, way back uh, during some of my time in Montreal, and, and he, he used to come on a couple times on the show I did for SiriusXM. Um, but one thing I always loved about Stu was he can talk anything with you, whether it's hockey, baseball, football, music. I know he loves his music, just like our good friend Mitch Melnick and uh, news, whatever. He, he can talk anything with you and he's got a wealth of stories. So that's kind of what we're aiming for is someone like that to join us each week on Press Box Thursdays. And I'm looking really uh, forward to to hearing his stories, hearing his journey to now. And also his take on kind of uh, the evolution of uh, sports journalism over the last 20 yeah. years with the internet and where it's become. And, you know, uh, not to get negative, Pierre, but of course, we're still hearing the, you know, the ramifications, the fallout from the Cutter Gauthier trade uh, with the Flyers and what happened there. And Gauthier spoke um, on a couple podcasts and it didn't really say anything, Pierre, but, you know, I did like that he, he made a point to go out of his way and say, look, the whole Kevin Hayes thing, 
uh, is not true. And we're going to play a clip. I'll, I'll save it for when Stu comes on. I'm sure a lot of people have heard it out there. John Tortorella calling out the reporter who, um, you know, said that Kevin Hayes was behind Gauthier wanting out and convinced him not to go there. Uh, so we'll play that in a bit when Stu comes on. But uh, just your take on how Gauthier handled it. Like I said, it was very, very straight up the middle. He didn't really get into too much detail, but he did take the point to defend Hayes. Well, we talked about it yesterday. Uh, you know, I think there's more that's going to come out of this whole thing, Jimmy. Um, yeah. I totally respect the way Daniel Breer, John Tortorella, and Keith Jones have handled it from the flyer side. Uh, Kurt Overhart is the agent for um, Cutter Goche. I think he's done his job right now. Um, and obviously Cutter going public didn't say very much, as you correctly said. But I, what boggles me, everybody making this seem like it's the first time this has ever happened. Yeah. Uh, and it's not. It's not, it's not even close. And so you've got, we talked about it yesterday. You know, I remember Jimmy Vesey not going to Nashville. And that's I, not that I, long, though. You know, I remember Justin Schultz yeah. not going to Anaheim, you know, ending up in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Adam Fox not going to uh, Calgary and then Carolina in a deal orchestrated by his agent, Matt Cater. He ends up with the New York Rangers. So it's not like this just started. Yeah. You know, this is a loophole in the collective bargaining agreement. And if he had not said anything or done anything with Philadelphia, maybe they would have lost him as an unrestricted free agent. And then Philadelphia doesn't even get Jimmy Drysdale. So, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I haven't read that anywhere, but one of the best players the Philadelphia Flyers ever got, Eric Lindros, you know, they got him. He didn't want to go to Quebec. Yeah. So the Flyers got him. They were really happy to take him. You know? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good. I know. I know. And, and, you know, some people say, well, he at least said ahead of time that he didn't want to go there, but Gochi said he was so happy to be drafted by them. Well, I mean, Things change. Uh, it, that's life. I mean, it's what I'm saying to you, I, I think now you got to remember too the people that drafted him, well, the person that drafted him, Chuck Fletcher, was replaced last year by Danny Briere and Keith Jones. There was also some turnover in ownership and upper management there. So something may have, and we don't know this. I'm just saying something happened. Yeah. Clearly something happened. This yeah. is not on John Tortorella, by the way. No. You know, no. if, if he – and you made a great point yesterday. If he thinks going to Anaheim to play for Greg Cronin is going to be easy, <laughs> he's really mistaken. Yeah, he's in for a John, by the way, and how many times have we espoused how great John is coaching? He John, is. John's coaching fantastically well. And yeah. I really thought in his last job in, in uh, Columbus, he coached extremely well too. He deserves a lot of credit for what he's doing with that team. They're fun to watch. You know, last night, obviously, they were the better team against Montreal, especially uh, as the game went along and fell behind 2 nothing. Mm -hmm. But, again, I know everybody's really upset at the kid. I think there's more to come out of this. Yeah. We're I not going more right away, but something had to happen. Yeah, on the note of the coach, you know, about Tortorella and what he's doing there and uh, sort of completely disproving – the notion that he's too much of an old school guy and uh, doesn't believe in letting kids uh, explore their talents, so to speak, and their skill on the ice and utilize them. Um, Daniel Briere, I heard him today on our good friend, uh, Jeff Marrick's show. I was driving up to New Hampshire. I'm going to be here for the next couple of days. And um, he, you know, Daniel Briere went out of his way to say that. He says, you know, I know everybody knocks torts uh, for kind of being this conservative guy and, and, and being too old school, 
But I mean, look at the way right away he set Drysdale free last night. And, you know, he became the rover, so to speak. And we got a rover out there. And he goes and he gets an assist on a power play goal right away. And so he said, you know, I, I hope, just like you did, Briere was saying, I hope that people will start to give him credit for what he's doing. Sure, does he want, as we spoke about with, with Rex yesterday, with Mark Recchi on our show here yesterday, um, do they want these kids to have a defensive foundation, a 200-foot 200, 200 foundation? Of course. Mm-hmm. And and do they think that's essential for them to become the stars that they can become? Yes. But that doesn't mean they're not going to give them some leash and let them do it. And they're doing that. And I think, Pierre, whether, it, whether it's in sports, whether it's in politics or what have you, sometimes the media and fans get just so hell-bent on a narrative that they don't – they themselves don't adapt when the narrative changes, if you know what I mean. It's like yeah. maybe this guy was conservative five years ago, but that was five years ago. We're we're living in the now. Let's talk about what he's doing now, and what he's doing now is pretty amazing with the Flyers. Yeah, no, John's doing really good work. Look at Travis Konechny's body of work. We've talked about that right from the first show we've done on, uh, on the eye test. Yep. You know, I, I'm looking at the, the growth of Owen Tippett. Oh, wow. Owen Tippett's been fantastic for them. He really has. Um, I'm looking at Morgan Frost and the development in his game. You know, I know they want him to be more consistent, but Morgan looks like he's starting to dominate the puck, which is great. Ty Forrester, same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Can he be more consistent? Yeah, but he's still showing that he can play in the NHL. So young guys are actually thriving there. They're starting to get better. Uh, I can't stress enough getting Couturier back. Obviously, you know, uh, shootout specialist, Mm -hmm. but also defensive specialist. They've done some really uh, – John deserves a whack of credit. But, again, it's going to come down – this cutter Goche thing, I'm just telling everybody, and, and I don't have any inside info, but I made some pretty good decisions over the course of 34 years in the league. Something else had to be part of this. Mm-hmm. And it's eventually somebody's going to find out what it is. Yeah. Of course. And it will happen. It will happen, especially in this day and age. Uh, Pierre, I just want to, one more thing with the Flyers too, before we move on the, the goaltending. I mean, everyone talks about Carter. Hart. You know, Sam Harrison's having a pretty good season. eh? like, let's start to talk about him a bit too. I know he was really good. The last night, you know, I know the first shot goes in on goal. It's a deflection, but after that, I thought he was solid, really solid. Yeah. He had to be. Now the Canes didn't throw a lot of artillery at him last night. Obviously, Montreal, uh, talk about coaches doing well, by the way. John Tortorella, protege, Marty St. Louis, they're a pretty darn good job in Montreal with his staff. They really are. Um, yes. They've got, they're decimated by injury. You can just see that offensively. They, they're not going to get a ton of offense. But still, Urson's a great story. I think he's been extremely good whenever he's had a chance to play. That's great news for the Flyers long term. It really is. Yep. Well, listen, when we were going to bring DuPont on, we were going to talk a little bit about the Boston Bruins, obviously the team that Kevin Paul DuPont's covered for so long for the Boston Globe and before that, the Boston Herald Hall of Fame career. But uh, one of the big topics, obviously, and there's some news now coming out, um, is Linus Allmark and his status. Nothing really updated. Uh, according to Jim Montgomery, after the game day skate out in Vegas, this, well, this afternoon, if you're on the East Coast this morning, if you're on the West, uh, the status, he's just turned a day-to-day. Uh, him and Matthew Patra uh, are day-to-day. And actually, you know, I didn't even check just for Bruins fans to give him some update here, Pierre. Because I, like I said, I was on the road. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, did he give an update? Uh, no, nothing on Carlo. Carlo's still out as well. 
Um, so some big injuries for the Bruins there as they head into Vegas. But Pierre, they're facing a Vegas team that's I, really hard to figure out for me right they, now. They and they're getting on a back to back too. So that they, could they be weren't good last night. They weren't good last night at altitude in Colorado. But to be fair, Colorado was an angry team too, and so they yep. brought the heat a little bit last night. And you know, I know that Nikita Kucherov and Nathan McKinnon are tied for points in the league scoring right now in 67 but i will tell you this right now you know you can pick whomever you think is the mvp but if nathan mckinnon isn't in your discussion then you're not watching colorado avalanche play do you agree yeah i completely yeah, agree Jimmy, i mean he, he without a doubt the most powerful player in the league yep he's really changed the dynamic of his playmaking ability now he's a multiple playmaker he's not he used to just look one way now he can look both ways mm -hmm. um, his one-time shooting is elite uh his ability to take the puck away from people is almost like pavel batsuk yeah you know, he's, a, he's a kleptomaniac when the other team has a puck and I, I just look at it and i'm going nathan continues to evolve and then you start reading about his off-ice training habits and how motivated he is to get back to the promised land and win the cup. And you can see this guy's on a mission. Yeah. He's on a mission. And, I, and I mean, any disrespect to the other players that are having great years, especially Kucherov, who's doing and great Crosby. things in Tampa. Yeah. Really, really good. I mean, if they didn't have Kucherov, where would Tampa be in the standings right now? Not even close. No, not, not even close. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he's in there too. But McKinnon, my goodness gracious, he's been fantastic. He has. It's, it's been unreal there. But we've got our guest now. Stu Hackle is joining us here on the eye test. And there he is. Stu, how you doing? Good to see you. Hi, Murph. How are you? Haven't seen you in a while. Well, I, I know. You. Long time. Yeah, I see you on, on the tube, but I don't see you in person. Hey, <laughs> Murph, I have a question for Stu. Behind you, are those v VHS discs or what are those? Are those books? Those are books. Oh, okay. I just wasn't, I wasn't sure if you were dating yourself. I'm sorry. No, I have the, all the VHSs in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> did uh, did Pierre ever give you any of those VHSs that tapes that he used to have to haul up and do review for the Penguins? No, no, they were, those are too big. Why do you think? Yeah, why do you think he's so jacked? Those are from those days when he was carrying those tapes, man. <laughs> so good to see us, dude. Welcome aboard, and uh, we're glad to have you on. And I, I know you and Pierre have a long history as well um and it's good to have you what, what have you been up to these days well i, I guess i'm the e-bug here i'm the emergency backup guest <laughs> yeah you're, you're dupes uh, e-bug yeah <laughs> um i'm kind of semi-retired now jimmy i really haven't done much for the last really since the pandemic uh -huh. uh, i just sort of kicked back and taking it easy it was you know i had a good run in in hockey and and elsewhere but uh I got older. I don't have to shave every day. You know, it's uh, it's okay. You know, yeah. it's a lot of fun. But I, I still follow the game pretty closely, or as close as I can. Pierre and I talk almost every morning. Yeah. And uh, we, he fills me in on all the things I slept through during the day. <laughs> and, uh, I, I'm still really interested in what goes on in hockey, as I have been for you know, almost my whole life. Jimmy, I'm just going to say one thing. I'm not sure there's anybody at his age that's more passionate about going the rink than Stu Hackle. And all those beer league players that are around his area in Westchester, New York, they're lucky to have him around. I'll tell you that right now. Stu, you do magnificent stuff for hockey. You really do. Your passion for the game is awesome. 
you give back, you try to grow it. Um, you've been a great friend to so many people in the business. That's one of the reasons why when we needed a special guest, yep. we thought of you right away. Yeah. I like what he called it, though. I think we're going to have to adopt that. The, uh, the e <laughs> I'm pretty good at giving names to things like, you know, uh, like names of podcasts. Uh, I've yep. done that too, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what one would you be referring to? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I can't think of one right now, but maybe it'll come to <laughs> He's going to try to see it through. Let's put it that way, Jimmy. Yep, for sure. <laughs> For sure. You know, let's uh, let's get in. I know Pierre wants to talk about your love for hockey, but before we do, I, I want to just get, how did you get into uh, to hockey journalism, journalism or sports journalism as a whole? Well, it really started uh, before I uh, joined the National Hockey League. I had wanted to be a sports writer. I'd gone through college really as a philosophy major uh, and, and uh, got my master's and most of my Ph.D., but didn't really want to be a philosophy teacher for a living. I really wanted to go back to do what I originally had wanted to do, which was be, do a sports writing or sports broadcasting. Mm -hmm. And uh, a couple of steps, a couple of things happened. I was living in Arizona for a while and was uh, working for the Tempe paper, uh, Mesa paper. Long There was no hockey there at the time. But uh, this was uh, after World Hockey had left there and before long before the Coyotes uh, were there. and uh, But I loved the game, and it was the early days of cable television, and I was able to watch so many hockey games on TV at home. I convinced my sports editor to let me write a hockey column every couple of weeks. And there were a lot of snowbirds down there, especially from the Chicago area. So it, it was pretty good. You know, I, wrote, I wrote a few columns. When I moved back home to New York and got a job working in the cable industry and uh, was able to convince the cable magazine I was working for to let me write about hockey on cable television because that's where hockey was. It was the first sport really to, yep. to uh, overpopulate itself on cable television. Everybody else was still uh, on broadcast TV, but hockey saw that it was a, a new frontier uh, mostly through Joel Nixon, who was the director of uh, the vice president of broadcasting of the National Hockey League at the time in the early 80s. And uh, the league was, at the time was going through a couple of transitions in its marketing department. They were looking for a new editor for Gold Magazine. I heard about it from friends of mine in Madison Square Garden uh, that they had an opening and I applied for it. Uh, John Halligan, who for a long time, hockey people know, was the longtime director of publicity for the Rangers, was for a short time working for the league. He hired me to become the editor of the NHL's magazine Goal, and that got me writing hockey on a pretty regular basis. So this would have been the mid-'80s. And that kind of started it. And, uh, and Joel, who I had become friendly with from my stories on uh, hockey on cable television, uh, and talking to him about the NHL's profile on cable, asked me to come work with him also in the broadcasting department. Wow. So I was I worked uh, in both the broadcasting department and in the marketing department of the NHL for a, a lot of years, and uh, that's how I met Pierre. I was in my broadcasting function. I had met Scotty Bowman before that. Scotty and I became friends. I'd done some stories for League Magazine with Scotty. 
And, uh, and. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When the Penguins were in the Stanley Cup final, this was the year before Scotty uh, became the coach, and he had hired Pierre earlier that year for the hockey department in, in, as a scout. And it was, a, it was before a Penguins game in the Stanley Cup finals, and the league staff was out there. Mm-hmm. And we ended up at the same place for lunch one day. Scotty said to me, I want you to meet my friend and my roommate, Pierre Maguire. That's right. They were roommates. So that's how it happened. It's probably 1991, I guess it was. And uh, Pierre and I have been pretty good friends ever since. Who and what was it like to work for John Ziegler, Stu? John is probably was really uh, misunderstood and was really underrated as a chief executive officer of the National Hockey League. What people really don't understand about the league at that time and about John's role was that the league office and the league function were really restricted by the Board of Governors, by the owners. Mm-hmm. They weren't giving our uh, league office a tremendous amount of resources. You know, Because every dollar that the league office spent was a dollar that the owners wouldn't be able to keep for themselves. And it was a smaller revenue sport back then, obviously. Uh, So John did the best he could with a a limited staff, limited resources, limited budget. And when Mr. Bettman came in, you know, he came in from the NBA model where so much of the league's revenue had been centralized and there was so much money in the league office that the league would make more money than the teams could make for themselves. And it was the opposite back then in the NHL, mm-hmm. where the teams were making more money for themselves than the league could ever make for the teams and turn back over to them. So the, when I was working in the league office, the power was really centralized in the teams. and But the, the model of the NFL first and then uh, the NBA afterwards, uh, and the baseball, of course, was that the leagues were more – powerful and really set a lot of the tone for the sport as opposed to the teams doing. So when Mr. Bettman came in, he switched that model. Uh, he was able to convince the owners that was the modern way to, to uh, conduct business in sports. But you can't blame John for not being able to function under a different model. Right. And, you know, and John was really forward thinking in a lot of ways. Uh, and it just they didn't come through. And, you know, the problems that the sport had always fell on the uh, on the CEO, as it does in every sport. Every time there's a problem in baseball, the commissioner gets wrapped. Every time there's a problem in basketball, the commissioner gets wrapped. 
Every time there's a problem in football, the commissioner gets wrapped. And hockey's the same. Yeah. So, you know, these guys do the best job that they can. Let, let me just rewind, too, when you talk about the cable industry and hockey sort of kind of being one of the first to get in that. When did Sports Channel come about? And when was, was that the channel that they went right into? Or was that after they kind of got into cable? Sports Channel America was much later. I mean, Sports Channel had been a, a local phenomenon in, in New York and in a few other cities. And this was the Dolan family that owned Sports Channel, the same Dolan family that now owns uh, Madison Square Garden and the Rangers, Knicks, and MSG Network. Uh, but they were it started as a regional business. But in 1988, uh, the league was leaving its contract with ESPN. They were looking for, uh, you know, a, another partner. Uh, and one popped up to give them three times or four times more revenue in their national rights than ESPN was willing to offer. Okay. And this was Sports Channel America. And this was something that the Dolans put together to try to string together all their regional networks and all the regional networks around the country who they didn't own into a national network. Okay. And they called it Sports Channel America. Uh, they, you know, you had it in New England also, Jimmy, I know that. Yeah, I remember the Whalers. On right, the, the Whalers were on Sports Channel in New England. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they were in a few other places as well. But uh, it didn't really work. You know, they were not able to convince uh, the rest of the rest of the cable industry that they should carry Sports Channel America on their cable systems. So while it was financially good for the NHL, because they were able to generate more income through this deal, Sports Channel America was happy to give the NHL more money because they wanted to break into the TV business in a bigger way on a national level. Uh, you know, but and the league was going to be their stepping stone to do that, the league contract. But it, it didn't work on a uh, on a business level because they couldn't get the carriage throughout the league, and lots of people couldn't see the national games. Wow! And it was uh, it was a tough. And you know, you know, uh, you know, Ziegler got the blame for that, but he also did what the owners wanted him to do, which was maximize revenue. Mm -hmm. And here was somebody coming along to give him a lot more money than ESPN at that time was willing to give. So ESPN lost the contract. Sports Channel America got the contract. It was a three-year deal. Uh, and it was for a lot more money than ESPN was willing to give. And the league took the deal. The owners were happy until they couldn't, their fans couldn't get the games. <laughs> and they weren't so happy anymore. But they still cashed the checks. Yeah. So, you know, one of the problems back then, though, Jimmy, was the Chicago Blackhawks, obviously a huge population. The words family decided not to show the local games on local TV. Never games. Games. So yeah. that was a bit of an issue. Yeah, well, that was a long-standing issue, Pierre. I mean, that was something that happened long before Sports Channel America. That yeah, was some, sure. something that the, the words family did to protect their gate. Now, yeah. this was old-time thinking. You know, and this, you know, this is the kind of thing that hockey had always – suffered from at the local level where every local owner decided to make his own rules for himself. What, you know, what would maximize his own revenue, which mm -hmm. he could do. And, you know, Bill Wirtz and the Blackhawks felt that if they didn't show their games on local television, that the fans would show up. They'd come to Chicago stadium mm -hmm. and, and, you know, not only did the Wirtz family own the building, they own the concession rights in the building and they own 
hundreds of parking lots all around the building. So they wanted people to come to the game because that's how they made their money. Wow. Jimmy, when I was a kid growing up in Montreal, I think you could argue, Stu, the best broadcasting tandem around hockey were Danny and Dick, Danny Gallivan and Dick Irvin. You had a chance to know them. You had a chance to listen to them. I grew up listening to them in my, on my radio next to my bed. My mom would come in and say, turn that off. Um, what made them so great in your eyes and ears, Stu? Well, I'm, I'm happy to say that I, I did get to know both of them very well. I still know Dick, you know, and I, I worked with Dick uh, quite often when the Canadians would uh, travel to the to our part of the of the league. Dick would ask me to work with him on a radio on the Canadians uh, broadcast on radios, his color guy. So that was the, the, probably the biggest thrill I had in hockey. Um, and I did that for a number of years. It was great. Uh, Danny was the greatest because he followed the play so well. And, and in addition to being able to follow the play so well, he was able to uh, raise and lower the, the pitch of his voice in accordance with the action on the ice. Mm -hmm. so you really felt what you were watching on television through the TV screen. And on top of that, he had an amazing vocabulary and was always adding new terms and new cliches to the game, you know, a Savardian spinorama or a cannonading shot. You know, <laughs> nobody ever heard this kind of stuff before. And he, and he did it so effortlessly. And the thing about hockey, you know, today that I find that I miss Danny so much for was his, his ability and his desire to follow the play so closely. Right. You know, I don't want to be critical of the people who broadcast hockey games today because the game is infinitely faster than it was during Danny's time. But I also find today that as a viewer, I would feel like we all would benefit as viewers from Danny's approach more to help us focus on what's going on on the screen. Mm. And the game is so fast and things happen so quickly. It would, it would really help us understand what we're seeing better to give us the reference point of a voice telling us this guy has the puck. He's over here. This guy is passed over. Here. The, the, the detailed play-by-play -play that Danny had, very few announcers that I hear today can do that and do it for 60 minutes. I, will, I worked with three of them. I will tell you right now, I think the great Penny guy is one. One of them. I think Chris Cuthbert is one of them. And I would tell you right now, I think Gordon Miller is one of them. And I would agree with you on all three yeah. of them. You know, and, and they happen to be three of my very favorites and also good friends over the years. And, I, you know, I really appreciate the fact that they follow the play so closely and they help the viewer focus on what's going on on the ice and how fast the game is. It's, it's beneficial. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, I think so. I don't know when it happened. You guys would probably be able to identify or pinpoint that that time. But, you know, somewhere along the line, guys, that just sort of seemed to all fall to the color side, eh? And, and that he, that person became the one to provide the detail you're saying, but it's not the same because it's not in the moment, so to speak. Right. And, you, you know, you can do both. You can have a great – and Pierre knows this because Pierre did the color job mm -hmm. as well as anybody I've heard in decades, you know, do the color job uh, because he knows so much about what's going on on the ice, probably more than anybody who ever sat in his position. Uh, 
And I, I think that the balance between the play-by-play -play guy and the color guy uh, would would be better if the play-by-play -play guy stuck to the play-by-play. Because -play. a lot of times the play-by-play -play guy is busy telling stories or he's yeah. in conversation with the color guy and there's a game going on. Yeah. And you're forgetting the game. You're neglecting the game. Not baseball. No, exactly. Yeah. Well, you can do that baseball. in baseball. You can get away with that. Anyway, <laughs> there's lots of time in all those sports to do that. You can't do it in hockey. And I, I like to think of it, if you think about a horse race, you know, it's a two minutes and change around the track. And the guy who is calling the race isn't stopping in the middle to tell stories. You know, he's, he's telling you who's in first, second, Boom. third, who's coming up on the outside, who's falling back on the rear. Now, it's hard to do that for 60 minutes. Granted, yeah. I understand it. And again, it's a hard job. It is. These are fast, fast games. You know, the skill level, the things happen so quickly now. But I would really like to see the play-by-play -play guys who I watch make a bigger effort to stick to the play-by-play -play and give that to the viewers. Because I think it would help the viewers throughout the hockey world uh, focus better on what's going on on the ice. So, Jimmy, he's talking about quick stuff. So, Stu, I'm going to pre present you with some names. And when I do, I just want a quick snippet from you on each guy, okay? If I don't okay. fall, okay, okay. All right. <laughs> Roger Bear. Roger Bear. Rocky it was Mr. Ranger. Uh, you know, a terrific ambassador for the Rangers, a, a great player, as I remember him. I remember when he was very young, when I first started following the Rangers. Great shooter, uh, a great great representative uh, of, of the club, and always laughing, always smiling, always ready to tell a joke. And, uh, you know, he meant everything to the Rangers. He's still, for many people, he's still the image of the Rangers. Jean Rattel. Mr. Class, I mean, if there was a, if John Bellabo had a carbon copy, and very few people were John Bellabo, but uh, but Jean Rattel was as close as they came. Vic Hadfield. Well, the third guy in that line, Vic was as tough as they come. And, uh, you know, the, the gag line was well, well named, goalie game, and, and Vic was tough, great in the corners, great in front of the net, had a really good shot. And another funny guy and another good representative of hockey for the New York market. Emil Francis. The cat was so much a part of us in New York growing up uh, and appreciating the Rangers. Really led the Rangers revival coming out of the, of the, the 50s, which were not a great time in the 60s, and helped build the farm system for the Rangers that really fueled you know, their team. Uh, that was great in the late 60s into the 70s. Robert Gordon Orr. Well, many people think he's the greatest hockey player who ever lived. And I'll tell you, in, in the dressing rooms that I sit in, when I'm still in my old age playing beer league hockey, his name still comes up by many people as the best player people have ever seen. And Robert, the about him never stopped. Robert Earl Clark. Bobby Clark was a good guy. I mean, I had to work with Bobby a lot when I was in the league and he was general manager of different teams. And when I worked as a director of broadcasting, I had a lot of contact with the GMs and, and he was really a, 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 a good guy to work with on the ice. One of the dirtiest guys I ever saw play the game, but it worked. You know, I lived in Philly the two years that they won the Stanley cup. And I forever have these images of, 
Clarky's skating with his skate, his skates and using great edge work. You know, he really could could uh, skate well. And he would drag his stick behind him and maybe clip a few guys on the way past. And anybody who wanted to re take revenge on one of his cheap shots, and there were a few, if you so much as touched Bobby Clark, the entire Flyers bench would empty. They would jump off. And I saw this happen where guys would just jump off the bench and pound everybody on the other team for anyone touching Bobby Clark. And that, that's great leadership in many ways in hockey. Stan Jonathan versus Pierre Bouchard. That was a, a, a fight that I think uh, Butch would probably like to forget. For a little guy, Stan Jonathan, could, he could fight. Yeah. He could fight. He, he was something. Powerful, powerful. The great Islander decade of the 1980s. The thing that people don't know about that team, well, maybe they do, but they won 19 consecutive playoff series. That's never going to happen again. No. That, I mean, that's just, when you think about it, you have to look at those, those teams that Bill Torrey built and Al Arbor coached, and you have to say they're a candidate for the greatest hockey team of all time. I mean, Scotty's Canadians of the 70s, you know, are, are up there too, and they had amazing regular seasons. But for playoff consistency and excellence, that's untouched. That's just untouched. I would agree, Jimmy. That see, that's just a walk through history, and that just shows you why I wanted him on. Oh as yeah, e bug. He's yep. our best e bug. Yeah. Well, hey, Pierre. I mean, when 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 I called you and said that Dupes was uh, unavailable, who was the first name out of my mouth? Stuvacle. That's right. That's right. So you're uh, embarrassing me now. <laughs> hey, Stu. By the way, so did you grow up in Westchester? No, I grew up in. Uh, I, I was uh, born in Jersey Devil. And, well, that's right. I was in mostly uh, in, in in my high school years and junior high years was in New Jersey and in the city before that. Okay. Uh, there was no. I, I played. I was 15 years old. I couldn't find a place to play hockey. Yeah. And uh, the closest place I found to my house that would take me was beer league hockey in Bricktown, New Jersey. Wow. And, that's where Jimmy Dowd came from. Was yep. And uh, it was a 40-minute drive down the Garden State Parkway from where we lived. And my dad would drive me down every week. I couldn't drive yet. And I was probably the worst player in the league. <laughs> I, I'll say that very freely. I'm still the worst player in my league. So things haven't changed too much. And uh, But I, I loved it. I was playing against grown men with jobs and I was a high school kid and with skates that were too large for me and a mouth that was too big for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. Jimmy, I got to tell you, so the, the mouth part is true, but it says there's a lot of really intelligent things. And this is one thing you need to know. Stu used to take a group of guys to Montreal for big hockey tournaments and okay. they play all over the city. And he would call me up and ask me for strategy before the tournament. <laughs> awesome. No, I'm thinking of implementing a curfew. These are like 50 and 60 year old men. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. I mean, we actually did. We did have a curfew that actually kind of worked. Play <laughs> on uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Sundays were always the, the gold medal games. And, but we go up on Thursday. And Thursday was the night to hit Crescent Street. 
or yeah. everywhere else. Yeah. And and uh, but the guys knew Friday morning you better be there, and only the rookies would go out after Friday night. Nobody would go out, That's and we won. But yeah. I did. Pierre didn't, did help me, and so did Scotty. Scotty explained the, the left wing lock to me, and we played that, and that's how we won. The strategies that Scotty and Pierre gave me, I got a bunch of medals right over here on my door. You know? <laughs> nobody, nobody plays strategies in here. Wow, well, the teams must have been like, what the hell is this? <laughs> well, we, were not, we didn't up any odd man rushes. I mean, that was the thing. We, we were never, out, never outgunned in the neutral zone. It was oh, too funny. Hey, Stu, uh, I want to uh, get up to present times here. And one of the things, obviously, the hottest topic right now around the NHL, Pierre and I have been talking about it a lot, is the Cutacoche situation and what happened there with the Flyers. And, um, you know, for I, I don't know if you've heard, John Tortorella went out of his way to call out the reporter who wrote the story that, or put the report out there, that Kevin Hayes convinced Gauthier not to go to the Flyers, which was completely false. And now because of it, uh, Hayes and his family are receiving death threats. Uh, but Gauthier is too, from what I hear. Um, so I wanna, let's play this clip from Tortorella. We'll digest that, and then I just have a couple of questions just about sort of the state of journalism right now uh, okay. in sports media. So let's go to that clip from Tortorella right now. The, is the guy here, is there, doesn't, the guy here that, that caused Kevin Hayes a problem? Yes. You? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Do you think Kevin Hayes is going to do something like that? Question. Person letting the first two buy him. It, it, it just it pisses me off that, that you guys throw that around and affect someone's life. Kevin Hayes and I had a problem. Uh, we couldn't come to an agreement on how to play. That's a good man. That's a good man. And, and what you said is going to stay with him. It'll, it'll, that, that's what you guys don't understand. You say something, and you're going to sit there and say you have the right source. And I call. Go ahead, I'm sorry. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Wow. But I think it needed to be done. I agree with everything John said there. And look, we're all in journalism here and broadcasting, writing, all different facets of it. I don't know about you, Stu, but I don't like where things are going right now. Um, this is not to say that there haven't been uh, fan bloggers or bloggers that have gone on to actually become solid writers and, and contribute in this business. But I feel like once we open that door, 
to this gray area of fan versus writer versus reporter versus broadcaster, we've gone down some dark tunnels. And I, I just wonder your take on can can we can we find ourselves out of that, or are we in sort of this this endless spiral into negativity and and just lies at at times? Well, that's a good question, Jimmy. And I, I, I'm not sure I know the answer. You know, my first impulse is to think maybe we are on that spiral, which would be awful. Mm-hmm. But it, it, and it's not just in hockey; it's in all sports. Definitely. You know, you know, you know the, stuff gets stuff gets published today that is non-attributed, that is uh, that is badly sourced that are rumors planted by people in one organization that are trying to embarrass another organization that are people with an agenda who could be players or agents or something like that. And it's not true. I mean, it's, it's done with an agenda. It's Mm -hmm. done to try to achieve a certain goal and to disrupt things. Uh, It's, it's the responsibility of anybody who has, a forum, be it a blog or a podcast, a newspaper column, uh, whatever the media might be. It's the responsibility of that person to check and double check and triple check or his editors, if any, that's part of the problem is a lot of these people don't have editors that know anything about the subject that they're writing about. If they have editors at all, because some bloggers don't have editors, they just hit the blog publish button and that's all there is to it. So they can say anything they want, uh, but it, it's the responsibility of anybody who's putting any information out there to to be to to um, see if it's accurate, see if it's true. Yeah, and you know, just because it sounds good or it's inflammatory doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. But in the internet world and, and in the world we live in today, clicks are all powerful. Mm-hmm. And the more outrageous thing you say and write, uh, perhaps the more clicks you get. Yeah. And clicks turn into advertising dollars in some cases. So truth doesn't matter. Truth suffers. Uh, and it's not just sports either. It's the news. It's also it's the entertainment business. It's everything. Yeah. You know, and it, it's uh, the truth suffers. Um, and that's, that's a shame. Yeah, and look, I don't, I don't know the details behind. I don't know that reporter that well. I know who he is, but I don't know the details on how he got, if he got information or he just made it up. I have no idea. But you, you made a great point there. It's his job to source that as much as he can, especially something where you're putting another human being at risk, right? Because that's the world we sadly live in right now. Is you can put somebody's life at risk with what you write about them. Um, and look, I've been in situations where I've screwed up and I come right out and I admit it. And I say, I was wrong and I've learned hard lessons and I try my best to apply that going forward. But there's also been times where I like, yeah, Pierre and I know, like, and you know, Stu, we know people in a bit, we hear tons of stuff every day, but you, it's, it's, it's our job to sort through that, to be like, okay, what's really not for the public ear or the public eye to see. There's some stuff that just, it's, it's better off to stay private. And I, I don't know what the solution is either. I, I, I don't. Um, it, it's, it's a scary landscape that we're in right now. 
Well, the con- you know, the consequences of that is the consequence. It's left to torts to defend his guys and to, and to defend what he thinks the truth you know should be, how it should be reported. So you know, torts always has the reputation of being the nasty guy or the guy who says and does outrageous things. But you can't, you know, you you can't really just sit there and be silent in the face of people getting death threats. Yeah. You know, and, and history he's too. doing the right thing. He's yep. doing the right thing by calling out the reporter if he thinks the reporter has been irresponsible in this situation. Yeah, and, and, and the thing too, like Pierre and I were talking about torts before you came on here, and Pierre, I think you can vouch for this too. You can say all you want about torts. When it comes down to it, he's going to go to bat for, for his team. He's going to go to bat for his players, even if they disagree with each other all the time. And by all accounts, I mean, he said it right in there. Yeah, we didn't see eye to eye. That doesn't mean I want this to happen to him. That doesn't mean I want him to be the subject of all this negativity. So, you know, I, I think people should be praising him for that. And I think the one, the only other thing I would have loved towards to do there too was to call out the people making the death threats and the, the stuff being said by fans on social media. But I guess you don't even want to give that credence, right, guys? Yeah. The one thing I'll say, what John's doing right now that I think is great, he's creating standards for his team. He's creating standards for his organization. They've got a new general manager, new president of hockey operations that really don't have a lot of experience. John's got a wealth of experience, and I think he's trying to help them create the proper standards. And I will say this, the messaging from Danny Breer and the messaging from Keith Jones was extremely appropriate. I thought it was very fair. I didn't think it was disingenuous. But I do think, I do think there's more to this story. And, and as you said, Pierre, the, the ownership we didn't like either. Well, no, I didn't like that, and that's why I didn't that say That inflammatory. Yeah, I just didn't like it. It was inflammatory, and I didn't think it was appropriate, especially coming from ownership level. I didn't think it was appropriate. So that's that. I mean, Stu, but I mean, I wonder, too, what has this been like, Stu, for somebody that, you know, you were just telling us your history in journalism. What has the advent of the Internet and now social media been like uh, for you to kind of navigate and, and digest? Well, for a while, when I was writing for uh, – Times and and Sports Illustrated. I was very active in social media. You know, I put all of my links up. Anytime I published a story, I would put the link on both Twitter and Facebook, and I engage in you know friendly, sometimes not always friendly debates with people. Not only on those platforms, but you know, in the comment section below my my posts. Uh, and sometimes it would get nasty, and sometimes it was great. And I still have some friends I made in, in through my years at the Times who you know liked what I wrote, and they have a little private Facebook group of Ranger fans, and they like me to come on there and, and talk to them. Uh, and that's great, you know. I mean, I've, I've stayed friendly with people who, I, and I don't think I've ever met any of them in person. You know, just all social media and maybe that's the best of social media but i think really social media has become it, it's really devolved it's really uh, it's uh, twitter or x whatever they call it now can be a real cesspool uh you know facebook i've almost gotten off that as well too uh i don't like it anymore you know i think it's become both of them have become you know places where uh people feel like they you know bully people in anonymity and they can show off what what they think they know and be arrogant about it without consequence uh 
Yeah. And it's a place where you can spread misinformation. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's true or not, doesn't matter. People will, you know, what's that old saying? Uh, a lie will travel around the world before the truth gets its shoes on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I like that. I think there's very much truth to that. Well, this has been great for Stu to give us his time. I can't thank you enough, Stu. Yeah, this absolutely. has been great. What a walk down memory lane and tons of great uh, stories and knowledge of people in the game. You know, you've seen from the beginning of the National Hockey League almost to where we are now. It's an amazing career. Congratulations on everything. Thanks, Pierre. Uh, yeah. It was it's it's been a good career. You know, I, I I suppose it's over. Or I'm always available. I, you know, you can find me uh, somewhere. Well, you're our new designated e-bug, man. So. That's, that's good. I'm ready to come on anytime you guys need me. I got lots of stories. Some, some of them might even be true. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Well, we should all get together next time we're all in your area. Murph, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Pierre, I'm sure I'll talk to you in the morning. You'll wake, you wake me up. You'll call me and wake me up. Don't worry. All right, guys. Stu, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Appreciate it. All right. That's longtime hockey journalist Stu Hackle. Uh, join us here. He, he's a great guy. Great guy. Oh, you know, he's got so many good stories. We didn't have enough time to really get into some of the National Hockey League stories with John Ziegler and what happened in the mid-'80s with the referees not working and them having yeah. to bring in the temporary referees and the yellow jerseys and um, there's so many good ones. When the league used to be run out of the Sun Life building in Montreal and the draft was held at the Queen Elizabeth Hotel. I mean, there's just so many good stories. It's just yeah. amazing. It's just great. Yeah, I, I remember uh, somebody telling me about that whole ref story. That was interesting. Was that, was that what, 87 or 88? Period? Yeah, right in the mid-80s, right in there. Yeah, okay. He was front and center and all that. He really yeah. I wonder was he was he at the was he at the have another donut game? I don't know. Devil's he, he was that was in Sean that area, Sean, right? Yeah. Or yeah. Coho, Donnie Koharski. Yeah, that was uh, interesting times. <laughs> well, it's it, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, listen, I see a lot of people talking right now in our in our comments section. We can take some questions. Do we have time? Yeah, let's do it. We got about nine minutes left. Let's take some questions. What do we got here? Ooh, I. I could go for that for I sure. Do, I could see that. You know, yeah. I'd have to think about other players, but I could definitely see that 100%. Yeah. I mean, Pierre has spoken a lot about what he's meant to this year's Flyers team for sure. Yeah. I'm trying to think, Pierre, off the top of my head right now, who else would yeah. be some good candidates? I got to think about it and really look so I don't yeah, let's, with anybody. Let's revisit that for sure because that's I always love that trophy. I really do. Yeah, but I, I think that's that was a really good uh, suggestion. Very good. Yep, for sure. I, what else do we have? Yeah, I mean, it's true. But here's the thing. I, I agree with that tremendously. I, it's it's factual. It is true. It's our job, though, as media, as fans, to understand what you might be looking at as rumors and, and just just let it go. Let it slide away. Don't don't digest it. Don't analyze it. Because like you said, until he the truth comes out, we don't know the truth. So let's not react to what we likely think is maybe not the truth, right? I mean, that's, I just think like somebody said to me, good job, James, uh, using common sense. I think that's what this world needs a little more with this stuff is common sense, Pierre. One of the best rules of TV I learned when I worked at NBC, 
and it was before an Olympics. So I'm going to say probably before the 06 Olympics in Torino. Okay. And, and NBC had a thing, and they'd say, if somebody gets hurt in the field of play and you don't know what the injury is, just say the person is hurt. Don't speculate. Could be a knee. Could be a shoulder. Could be a facial injury. Could be a concussion. You're not a doctor. You're not a trainer. You're not there evaluating. Don't say what the injury is. Don't speculate. That's basically the bottom line. And it's the same thing in this. And that's why when people ask me, well, can this player get traded for that player or that player? Right. I don't like to speculate. You know why? Because their family's involved, their general manager's involved, their coach is involved, their player's involved. There's a lot of things that are involved. And, right. and to speculate is to do it, I think, gross injustice. I really do. If I think that I've heard – well, not think. If I know I've heard tangible evidence that somebody's going to be moved and it looks like it's going to happen, I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think the problem too is not just speculation now, Pierre. It's it's that people run with speculation as fact. That's yeah. that's the big thing. Like it's like and and even when things are right there, like I know you're not on social media, but I'll give you an example today, Pierre. So I just I said I don't I wrote a story about the Bruins goaltending situation. I said I don't know when Elmark's injury is and I'm not gonna speculate what it is. Mm-hmm. But if it is to if it becomes long term. It may behoove them to explore a veteran backup instead of okay. leaning on an unproven rookie and Brandon Bussey. It, you know, give the kid a chance to prove himself to see first if he might be able to handle the workload should Swayman go down in the playoffs. But it might just behoove them to explore that market just in case he's not ready. So you do have somebody to lean on if you have an injury in the playoffs. Yep. Um, because not everybody's going to be Ken Dryden. You know, not everybody's going to come in as an unproven rookie and win the Stanley Cup and just tear it up like that or some other rookie goals that we have seen in the course of history. Cam Ward. Yeah, Cam Ward. We just said, and and this person comes back at me and says, you're an idiot. Why Why you, Why would you think when they have Brandon Bussey that they have to explore the market for a long-term solution in that? And I said, <laughs> just like, where did I say that? Like, yeah. it, It's just like people twist words and just go with it, man. And, and it's, it's baffling to me. It's like, I didn't say that. That's that. I don't know why you're, you know, it's. I do know. I know exactly what you're saying. It's it's frustrating. And it's it's tough because then people will say, well, Jimmy Murphy said this. And he's saying that the Bruins should get a long-term goalie. And then it, it takes a life of its own. And it comes down on me. So it is what it is. But uh, all right, let's go to the next question. Should Habs fans be worried about Caulfield? Not the same yeah. magic this year. No, I wouldn't think so. Here's part of the problem in Montreal right now. No new hook, no Kirby Doc. You know, it's easy to load up on the top line with Slavkovsky, with Suzuki and Caulfield. Um, they still don't, even though Mike Matheson's had a phenomenal, phenomenal year, Jimmy, I think you would agree with that. Mm-hmm. He's not a true power play quarterback. I think that's one of the things that affected Cole on the power play. I, I wouldn't be that concerned about Cole right now. Could, does Cole have to be a scorer to be successful? Yeah, he does, 100%. Yeah. He's not out there to be a checker. He's got to be a scorer, and I think he will. And, and you know what, Pierre? I mean, I, I'm going to look at, you know, silver lining here. I, sometimes for a young kid, a tough year like this can be great. I mean, you find out what he's made of, and yeah. he builds and off they it. call it the sophomore slump. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. I'd be more worried if after this year he has another one. I would okay, agree. and they're healthy. Then okay. you can start to worry. But let's see how he bounces back. Let's see what he does in the offseason uh, to correct whatever mistakes he's made. But I don't think he's been that bad. I think Pierre's absolutely right. I think it's just a, a victim of circumstances. Yeah. Okay, next question. 
What is his greatest game? Wow. Oof. Oh, I mean, aye, aye, aye. broadcast over 2,000. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many I've watched. <laughs> I don't know how many, seriously. Um, I can tell you a couple, though. I would say game six of the 2010 final was a real good game in Philly with Patrick Kane getting the – Oh, and the goal, right? Goal, right. That was yeah. good. Um, I would say the 2010 Winter Olympic gold medal game, Canada versus United States, was unbelievably good. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, game seven, Montreal, Chicago, 1971, in old Chicago Stadium, that was really good. I mean, there's so many. Gosh darn it! I can't. but yeah. I, the one that really, the one that stands out to me. And I, I've said this before in a lot of different venues. When Sidney Crosby was in front of Ryan Miller and he was yelling, and I was down at ice level, and he's yelling, and the fans are going nuts, and he's screaming Iggy, 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 and Jerome McGinnell just puts it out front, and Sid finishes it off mm-hmm. with a great call, by the way, by uh, by Chris Cutford, who I was doing the game with in Canada. Jimmy, 20, this is a crazy stat. 26 million Canadians watched that gold medal game that Chris and I broadcast. There's only At that time, there were only 33 million people in the country. <laughs> 26 million watched that game. It's an amazing stat. Um, but I'll never forget, I could hear Crosby in between the benches, and I could hear him screaming, Iggy, 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 and Jerome puts it out front and sit, finishes it off. It's pretty good. They should have made a T-shirt for that. I'd have to say, Pierre, I mean, I mentioned it yesterday when we had Rex on, that uh, one nothing game seven, uh, Bruins-Tampa. Tampa, yeah, that was good. 2011 yeah, game seven. And I, I would also say that from that same run, I mean, not to just kind of pile on that run as, as a Bruins report, but uh, the game seven between the Habs and the Bruins that went to uh, double overtime. Yep. And Nathan Horton wins Nathan it. Horton. So. Yeah. Like that series to me, and I, you know, I grew up watching the Bruins Canadians rivalry, so I saw some great stuff over the years. That series to me was that was just that was like a playoff run within itself, and I, I just loved it. I love just being behind the scenes on that and seeing what these players on both sides uh, were feeling emotions and the way it swung so many times through that series. Last playoff series. Uh, between Boston and Montreal that Jean Beliveau ever played in was 1971. Go watch that series. It was, I was 10 years old. It was pretty amazing. And you know, uh, people talk to me, I always like, I'd say hands down in terms of arenas that I've been in as a fan and as a reporter, the Bell Center is my favorite place ever to cover. Montreal Forum would have been your favorite. It would have been, I'm sure, Pierre. I'm sure. And the Boston Garden was there. I'm talking current arenas, though. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. So I, yeah. I can just say this. I had the privilege of coaching in almost every old building except for the Olympia in Detroit. Chicago Stadium, yes. The Odd Buffalo, yes. Bloomington, uh, Minnesota, yes. Uh, the Forum, yes. The Coliseum, Quebec, yes. Not old Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I'm not that old. But the first game I ever went to was at old Madison Square Garden. It was. Yeah. Montreal versus New York, 1965. I was at the game. Um so the, the old buildings were pretty special, Jimmy. I mean, the form had a – you walked in the side door to go to your dressing room, and you'd be like, wow, this – you could eat off the floors. I mean, it was just immaculate. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. I you want to eat at the Garden, I'll tell you that. At the old well, Boston Garden. But the Boston Garden had its own character, too. It did. It, it did. It really did. It was a little prettier. Oh, Maple Leaf Gardens had its own character. They all – 
they were all a little different. Now they're all pretty much the same. You know, they're all yeah, pretty much the cookie same. cutter. I'll tell you though, back to the Bell Center here, I would say that uh, one of my favorite moments, just in terms of loudness, decibel level, was when I, I think it might have been game three or game four, 2014. PK comes out of the penalty box and goes in on the breakaway and scores. I thought the roof was going to blow off at that second. It was that that was just I, I will never forget the place literally vibrating. It was just it was amazing. So that's it's one of my favorite the loudest. I could be wrong, but I think the loudest I ever heard that building, the longest applause was Sacramento coming yeah. back from cancer. Um, I was working at TSN full time then, and and I remember being sent in to cover that, um, and it was it was unbelievable. It really it was amazing. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right, what do we got? Well, two two more here. Two more. Ooh, Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Wow. Cross each other. So I, okay. So first of all, Philip Mazar is obviously a Montreal Canadian draft pick and he had a tremendous world junior and congratulations. The first time I ever went to Kosicep, it's right near Pressoff. Hopefully the listener's not driving from Pressoff to Kosicep. Um, but I saw some pretty good players play there. Uh, they had the European Championships there one year for the under 18s. And guys like Marcus Naslin, Alexi Kovalov, uh, wow. Solomon, Marty Straka. Like you would have been, Roman Hamlick was an underager back then. It was unbelievable how many good players there were. It was scary. Yuri Leitinen was playing for the Finns. How do you pronounce it? Uh, Kosicha. Kosicha. Okay, just so the, you know, for those who can't see and, and listen to this later, uh, one of our listeners asked, uh, listening all the way from uh, Kosicha, I probably murdered her. Oh, so, yes. It's in Slovakia. It's about, yeah. it's, I'm going to say it's probably around 60 clicks to the Ukraine border somewhere, give or take. It's not far. Okay, good but, stuff. Um, but that's so nice of Samuel to write in. And, and yeah. I, thought Phil, I thought Philip had a tremendous performance at the World Junior. I really did. I thought he played really well. You know, it, it just, came, just, just came in my head. I have to get it out there just to kind of bring some positivity back here. After we were just talking about all the negativity that's happened with the internet and social media. When I see somebody say, hey, I'm listening to you in Slovakia. Or I'm listening to you in Ireland. or that to me is that's why I still see hope and, and positivity in the internet that they that we can do that right that somebody can be tuning in halfway across the world to us right now and God knows what time it is there uh, listening to us it, that you can reach that far. You know, that's you know, what one is of the best players to ever come from that neighborhood. Now he was born in the old Soviet Union, but he grew up there. Was uh, Peter Bondra? 
Oh man. Yeah. But I, I just tell you, you know, that's the one thing that I agree with you on. I agree with you on a lot of stuff, but I really agree with what you just said. This is where it can be for the good. Like, yeah. I, I love going to Bratislava to watch games, knowing the Stasnys, um, you know, spending time over there scouting, having the privilege of watching games in the Czech extra league, you know, all these different things, it, it just phenomenal stuff back in the day. And I, I it's still great. But, now. It's unbelievable. Right. But to have like, to sort of have like a convo where we're, you know, we're, we're yeah, thousands, yeah, no, thousands yeah. miles away. We're almost like we're sitting here in a pub together, just shooting the breeze. Like, just like our friend Norm there from uh, Keene, New Hampshire, you know, like it just, I, I love the way we can connect still like that. So yeah, that's a I good thing. It's still I good. hope that you got Norm to sponsor a segment so we can go out there and do a live hit from We're going to work on that. We're going to work on that for sure. Yeah, New Hampshire. Don't worry, yep. Norm. We're coming, Norman. You just got to unload a little bit. Get the Guinness working, Norm. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. And uh, one more thing, Pierre, about that PK memory I mentioned too. Another great memory at the end of that series was uh, somebody gave you a nice big kiss after PK, that. PK did. <laughs> PK did. It was good. You know what? It was good too. I, just, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that was great when he came. Oh. He said, you know what? We we had – so here's a good PK story for you. You uh, guys had a long history too. You do. I mean, uh, always in, been in, in a very good way. Very, very yeah. good way. A lot of yeah. respect from me towards him, and he's always been amazingly kind to me. The first time he ever traveled outside of North America to play hockey was for the uh, 08 World Junior, which was in part of Beats in the Czech Republic. Mm -hmm. um, that was a great Canadian team. PK was a part of it. He was probably the seventh defenseman on that team. Drew Doughty was really the go-to guy. Luke Shen was on that team. Um, Steven Stamkos was on that team. Claude Green was on that team. They, they, had, they had a real good team. Brad Marchand was on that team. Mm -hmm. um, and – PK brought so much energy to that whole thing. Even though he knew he was a depth player to start the tournament, it was amazing to see how much he brought to the party. He, he was a tremendous asset. He really was. He was. Good stuff. All right, let's do one more question here. What is the, the opinion of GMs throughout the NHL about Perry? Is his agent getting calls? Pierre, I haven't heard anything yet, so I'll let you take no, this. No, but I know that the league has obviously said you can sign Corey Perry if you would like to. I think there's a lot more to this story too. You know, we talk about rush to judgment and some of the nasty stuff that came out of that story, which was mm -hmm. despicable, really, really brutally despicable. Um, and not from Corey. Um, but I, I would just say it wouldn't surprise me if he had another opportunity to play. He's represented by Newport sports management. That's Patrick Morris and Craig Oster and, and Donnie Meehan. So I would, be surprised if he did not get another opportunity to play if he wants to play you know he, he's got to want to play too he took a nice kick there that was tough jimmy not yeah. easy. not easy yeah I, I would think that if you think you have a chance to win and you need a guy that can do some stuff on the ice in terms of scoring and give you some depth offense there's a fit there and you know factor in two pierre after what happened i'm sure he wasn't too happy about it he's probably not happy with himself he wants to atone little redemption. Yeah. You get a pretty motivated uh, Corey Perry uh, as a person and a player to come in. So, and again, so. people rush to judgment on what kind of person Corey Perry is because of fictitious stuff that was put on the yeah. internet. Yeah. You know, okay, there had to be issues, but it yeah. wasn't the issue that everybody was talking about. It was no, something it wasn't. else. No, no. And so, you know, that, that was really grossly for everybody. It was grossly unfair for everybody that was involved. Yeah. Every single dealing 
that I've ever had with Corey. Going back to when he made the 05 World Junior team, he was the last player to make it um, mm -hmm. in Grand Forks, North Dakota. From that time on uh, to when he won the Cup in 07, being part of the Olympics, I mean, all that stuff, winning the MVP, I was around him all that time. I never saw him be a problem. I, mean, I never once saw that. Never once. Well, I mean, I know that uh, when he was his time in Montreal, I mean, everybody loved him there. So uh, that's great. It, uh, just quickly, too, we're, we're, we're going to cut off the questions here, but I do want to fishing is uh, is asking. We could pop this one up, guys, if you see it. Habs trade. Who is Philip Cedarquist? Uh, I don't know what he's referring to. I'm uh, standing around. I don't see any news about a trade I yet. I don't know. I don't know anything about. We that. can't comment on that, but I will. I want you to know, uh, Fishing. I'll look into it uh, and get back to you tomorrow on that. I I'm not yeah. sure. If you want to hit me up on Twitter or something and, and tell me what you saw, I appreciate it. All right, Pierre. That was a good one. Another good, good one. And, uh, really and by the way, we're back to our regular uh, on campus tomorrow, Pierre. And uh, we're having a, a really great guest that I know you, a guy you've known for a long time. Why don't you tell the viewers about him? Jimmy Madigan, who is a longtime player at Northeastern University. He was an assistant coach there. He was a head coach there. He's the athletic director there. Now he won the bean pot in all of those different positions, which is amazing to me. Um, kid grew up in Montreal, played at Loyola High School. Then his family moved to Toronto, uh, played at Henry Carr High School back in the day. He was, uh, Somebody that I spent a lot of time with on the road, traveling, scouting players. And uh, he's a tremendous hockey man. Spent a lot of time scouting in the NHL uh, with the Islanders and also with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And um, he's really done an amazing job with Northeastern Athletics, Jimmy. He's done a phenomenal job there. He really has. Good stuff. I'm looking forward to it. And I, as I said, I had a, the pleasure of drinking out of a Stanley Cup in uh, Jimmy Madigan's backyard in 09. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Uh, big thanks to Stu Hackle, our e-bug now, our designated e-bug here on the iTest. Stu Hackle, join us here on the iTest on the Sick Podcast Network. Big props to our production crew for their last-minute adapting as well. And uh, we're going to wrap the week up, like we just said, with On Campus Friday. And by Monday, I hope to have some interesting news, some potential big news uh, connecting the iTest to the city of Montreal. So we'll... We'll hopefully have some good news for you on Monday. We'll, we'll get back to you on that. But thanks to everyone out there for listening. Thanks for all your comments, your questions. Pierre, thanks to you. He's Pierre McGuire. I'm Jimmy Murphy. This has been the Eye Test and the Sick Podcast Network. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.